Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. All right, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18, and as you get there, we've got a couple quick announcements. Somebody told me that today is Super Bowl Sunday, and um, I don't know, but I do know this. There is a bake sale happening somewhere in this building, and I want to make sure that we just buy everything. So, um, if you're looking for cute kids to buy cookies and cakes from, they're somewhere. Are they down in this corridor? Yeah. So if you're somebody that because you don't have kids, you always just kind of walk back out the door you came in. Listen, go down this hallway. There's some tables set up in front of Jira Joe's. Buy some cookies, buy some cakes, buy some whatever else they have down there. It's a fundraiser for the student ministries because they go on retreats. They go, they're doing a winter thing coming up here in March. They've got summer camp around the corner. And uh, there's a lot going on with student ministries. So for Crown and United, who are hosting this bake sale, there's a lot of goodies. I know Finn was really enjoying staying up late frosting cookies on the uh, kitchen counter last night. So, um, yeah, go out there and support the youth. Uh, Another quick thing that I want to give a shout-out to, being Bake Sale Sunday, uh, we have always thought of this in-house. But how many of you guys know that we started this parachute campaign back January 1? And uh, the parachutes have just been a really cool way to connect with people and see people gather in other parts of the country. And so I want to give a huge shout out to my girl, Connie Klo. Connie, is that the camera or is this the camera? That's the camera. This is the camera. I'm going to try to do the squirrel eye thing right there. Uh, Connie, I just love you so much. And I know you guys have heard me say, Connie and I go way back. She knew me in my mother's womb. Uh, she was singing songs of deliverance over me. And she unraveled me with a mystery. But Connie, I just, uh, I, wanna, I wanna just say that you are awesome. Connie baked stuff and is selling it in Illinois, okay? She's selling it in Illinois to support um, our, our student ministries here. So to... To the parachute churches out in the Midwest, I just, I love you so much, and I kind of want to buy something and have it shipped out here just to support the cause, but um, I just love you so much, sister, and you're such a blessing to us. Thank you for jumping on this crazy train. Speaking of parachute churches, uh, Sage Miranda's in the house this morning. Sage, how you doing? Um, Sage and Betsy have tag teamed up in Deering, New Hampshire, and they are, uh, am I wrong? I, oh, I thought I saw you shaking your head. Yes, I can't tell. Oh, you're just flipping your hair. Okay, I got you. Everybody's looking at me. <laughs> I used to have hair I could flip. I used to have hair. Um, Sage and Betsy uh, are crushing it up there, and so already there are families that have been watching us online that have been able to gravitate towards uh, the parachute churches. So high five to all of you parachute churches out there. We love you so much. I've got a lot to get through in a short amount of time. So I want to quickly draw your attention to um, 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you were here with us last week, we, uh, we were talking about the King's Academy, not in the sense of the school that is starting here in the fall. Um, Although, yes, in the school that is starting here in the fall, but also original, the original King's Academy was 
the period of about 15 years between when David was anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel and when he finally assumed the throne as the king of Israel. And in that 15 years, the Lord had to teach him a lot. And uh, last week, um, we talked about Goliath, and we talked about how David had to learn identity, and he had to learn strength. Um, we talked about how uh, in, in that season of his life, God was laying the foundation and beginning to build on it of, of who David um, was called to be and who he was meant to be. And so if you didn't get a chance to hear that, it is kind of important for uh, to, to keep going forward. So make sure that you get a chance to, uh, make sure that you get a chance to go back, especially in this time, in this season, um, in a culture that is so prevalent with fear. Um, those things of identity, fearlessness, and strength are, are tied up in that first section. So moving on into chapter 18, I want to talk about um, a, a few things that David learned in his relationship with Jonathan. And uh, how many of you guys still have friends that you made in grade school? Anybody? Okay, good. And I moved away from, well, originally Illinois, and I still have Connie in Illinois. Uh, but then we moved to North Carolina, and then I moved from there, and then I moved again, and then I came up here where I didn't know a single solitary soul. And I felt like for the first time, the Lord was gonna teach me Oddly enough, for the first time I moved here when I'm like 19 years old or something, the Lord's going to teach me about friendship, even though I'd had friends my whole life. And I'm not an expert on friendship. I'm going to tell you that right now. I'm not a great friend, and the Lord has brought me to a place where I'm okay with that. If you've ever texted me and you've waited six and a half weeks um, to hear back, and it's not from me, it's from my wife or our assistant, Ailey, or somebody, uh, then you know why that doesn't hold up well in the friendship court. But I want to talk about friendship because in chapter 18, it says this. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul, when David had finished speaking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. But verse 3 says, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword, his bow, and his belt. If you're writing things down, this next lesson in the school of the Spirit in the King's Academy is friendship. Friendship. Their souls were knit together. If you know the story of David, especially these early years, and you know his introduction to Saul and how it happened that day on the battlefield with Goliath, Saul is sort of a businessman, and he's taking inventory of David. And in his summation of what's going on, he says, I better find out who this kid is, because if there's a new hero among us, I need to have him under my control. And so he has a little bit of interaction with David. He says, who are you? And, and David, now he didn't really care who he was when he was offering him his armor. Remember that on the battlefield? He didn't really care because he just figured David was going to get smashed. And if at least if he gave him all his armor, then his soldiers and, and countrymen would think that he had done the honorable thing. 
Saul was very concerned about how he looked in everybody else's eyes. And when he saw David, he thought, how is this going to affect me? And so he has this dialogue with David. Hey, whose son are you? And I love this line where it says, he would not let him return to his father's house. That sounds nice if you're the king and you just, you know, you're, you're like fostering a forgotten son of a no-name guy who was doing nothing but taking care of sheep. You're going to come let him live in the palace. That sounds like a pretty generous offer until you know Saul's heart. And Saul's heart was what looked to the outside like a blessing. Oh, that's so sweet. Look, he's going to bring him in and take care of him, maybe pay for his college or something. Now, Saul was interested in himself, for himself, by himself. And so it's really cool, though, how mingled in the madness of Saul was found the gift of a friend, a friend for David. At this point, David doesn't have any friends. He has people singing his praises. He has people questioning who he is. Who is this guy? He has some, his brothers and some other people who were probably jealous and hated him. But he doesn't have a friend. He'd grown this really beautiful, intimate relationship with the Lord. But even to the Lord, that wasn't enough at this point in his life. So God gives him a friend. And I want to talk about this for a second because this gift of a friend, you see, while Saul is conspiring against him, even in bringing him into his house, Saul's conspiring against him, but God is, is actually in heaven conspiring against the throne of Israel. And you're like, well, not yet, right? I mean, like, Saul's not being challenged. No, because by Saul bringing David into his house, he, he fosters the development of a relationship between his son Jonathan, the prince of Israel, if you will, and David. And I kind of want to encourage you this morning for just a minute, and that is this. If the Lord doesn't pull you out of a dangerous situation, he might have put somebody in there with you instead. Some of us, we have just accepted this role of loneliness. It's crazy how over the years in, um, in church, you'll see folks battered and bruised, and sometimes it's a family that stays in their bubble. Sometimes it's a husband-wife. Sometimes it's just a single person, and they have built up walls around themselves, and they have just accepted their lot in life. And while they love the Lord... That isn't enough. Zach, you're treading dangerous territory. How can you say that a relationship with God isn't enough? Because if it was enough, the Lord wouldn't have had to give him Jonathan. But God sees fit. In fact, it's very clear that it was the Lord who brought this thing together. We see it over and over over the next three chapters. I'll say it one more time. If the Lord doesn't pull you out of a dangerous situation, a troublesome situation, a dilemma, Look around you. He might have put somebody in there with you instead. He didn't take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fire. Instead, he put another one in there. And I think sometimes when we're just scrambling to protect ourselves and we're not taking inventory of the room, we will lose sight of the fact that God has given us a treasure in the form of a friend.
Friends aren't treated like treasure anymore, are they? Not with the dawn of social media. I was talking to a high school counselor a while back, and she said, you know, it's crazy. She's, she's meeting with kid after kid after kid, so many social anxieties and, and uh, distress and depression and suicidal this and all this other stuff. And she said, you know what's crazy? These kids come in and talk to a guidance counselor, but they don't have friends, like real friends. They might have 500 or 5,000 friends on Facebook or, you know, however many people are following them and liking their pictures, but there's no friendship, real friendship. She's talking about friends she's had since grade school, and a woman in her 40s says, I'm still so close with them, and I'm going to them with the things now that people are hiring therapists and, and counselors and shrinks and psychiatrists to talk about because there's no value for friendship. Imagine the money we'd save. Friends are cheap. That's coming from a guy without a lot of them, so I might be wrong. Friendship. In chapter 19, as, uh, as their bond starts to grow and develop, and Saul's starts to turn and become more outwardly aggressive against David. His conspiracy is beginning to materialize into plans to kill David. And Jonathan is in the court. Jonathan, the prince of Israel, is in the room where his father is planning uh, to take David's life and to ways to make it look like an accident. And how can we get him out in battle and leave him there, or put him out on the front lines or whatever. And so as their relationship grows, David has to become vulnerable with Jonathan. And if you've been at HPC long, you know that vulnerability is sort of a necessity here in order for this to work, um, in order for God to do what he wants to do in your life a vulnerability is required. If you've sat under me leading worship, then I'll, you've probably heard me say, you can't really worship without real vulnerability before the Lord. Some of y'all, you're just glad that we finally came into a dark room so that you can feel vulnerable. But the important thing is to understand here is that David didn't know vulnerability until Jonathan. If you're writing things down after friendship, vulnerability. David didn't know. He didn't have a rubric for vulnerability because he knew that the strength of the Lord had always been what was required. Him and God, him and God, him and God, him and God. I've heard some of you all say this. It's just me and God, me and God, me and God, me and God. I'm on an island. I'm on a mountain. I'm in a cave. I'm a wherever in my life. And it's me and God, me and God, me and God, me and God. And yes, while there is some level of vulnerability there, I love how to the Lord, that's not enough. Because vulnerability before him and our guard up before everybody else is not entirely what he wants. But with David and Jonathan, Jonathan was strategically chosen to be David's friend because of where he was in the world. If you're writing things down, get this. God will put people in your life to stand between you and the enemy. 
Think about Jonathan. Think about Saul. David brought into his court. David's loved by everybody, but hated by Saul. And there was, there was no one who was loyal enough to Saul, but who could also protect David. Except one person. The one person that the father chose to give him as a friend. The one person who the Bible says loved David as himself. We've got to get back to that place of valuing the treasure of friendship. We've got to come to a place where no matter if you've taken so much pride in never being vulnerable before, the Lord desires that place of vulnerability, that posture of vulnerability. You see, for Jonathan, he knew, he knew what David was up against better than David knew. And there's some people in, in here this morning and you're fighting battles and the person in the chair next to you has the strategy to win it. But until there is a, a level of vulnerability, we'll never let that person know that we're weak enough to need it. And it becomes tragic. Ashley and I, we counsel and we minister and we meet with people, people, people all the time. And it, and it, and it becomes this tragic thing. And you've heard me up here harp on it before. Nobody's the maverick. Nobody's the lone wolf. Nobody can go rogue and make it with the Lord. Okay? That's a special word out there to all the evangelists in the room. Vulnerability. Now, I'm not saying that you just need to go out and hang out all your dirty laundry for the whole world to see. That's not vulnerability either. That's just called victim. And it doesn't help you at all. Everybody feeling sorry for you doesn't help you at all. Vulnerability with someone who God has put in your life, that can change the game. Remember when I said you've got to surrender to receive? Vulnerability is the surrender. And as we see out in chapter 19, it plays out where Jonathan, Jonathan, uh, with knowing David is so vulnerable, he, he sets up, he devises a plan of how to hide David from his father. And I'm not going to go through and read all the text, but I would encourage you to later in a translation of your choice, but preferably the New American Standard Bible of 1995. <laughs> preferably. In fact, you can borrow mine because I feel like mine is a little more anointed and there's some highlighted passages in here and some notes in the margin for you from the Lord. I'm just kidding. You can't touch this Bible. Now you know why I don't have friends. One last note on vulnerability. When God puts someone in your life to stand between you and the enemy, you and the, the schemes of Satan, you and the, the thing that you're up against, when someone puts that person in your life, you will either be one of two things. You will either be vulnerable with them or vulnerable with the one they're there to protect you from. You choose. You choose. Because when I watch people in an effort to protect and preserve their pride refuse to be vulnerable, that pride makes them prime ripe meat for the enemy. The act of vulnerability before someone who's going to pray for you and cover you and help you strategize 
for someone who's going to take what's on them off just to clothe you, that vulnerability before that person then makes you invincible before the enemy. So think about it. If you're in that mode, if you're in that cycle of just, yeah, I, I'm, I'm my own guy. I don't need this. I don't need anybody. You know any, any of those people who like, they always have to be the one to pray over you and they, you, they're never asking for prayer? <laughs> I love those people because I have to. You know the people that they're the more spiritual one out of the twos of you, and they're like, no, no, I'll, I'll pray over the meal. We should probably pray, Pastor. I'll pray. I love that. Vulnerability. You don't have to be the strongest. You don't have to be the strongest. We know what David was called to, and yet he allowed himself to be weak before Jonathan in order to be protected by what the position and the purpose that Jonathan had in his life. The next thing is trust. Vulnerability is required in order to get to trust. We can't talk about trust until we have that vulnerability lesson in place. But when we pass that quiz at the end of the chapter, the next thing in the King's Academy is trust. Chapter 20, we see a culmination of the friendship and the vulnerability happen in trust. Jonathan teaches David how to trust. In fact, it's kind of interesting. We watch David and, and Jonathan's dialogue and interactions, and as they talk about promises and covenant and protection and hiding him and him giving a secret signal to David so that David knows whether or not his life is in danger, David could not get more vulnerable than this. But after that happens, trust begins to form. And as trust forms, David transitions out of kind of wondering of he's struggling you watch him he struggles to trust jonathan he struggles in his interactions what this doesn't make sense are you really on my side is this really what this is about it's interesting when we follow our walk with the lord if you go back to the beginning when you just were getting to know jesus you can probably remember somebody in your life right who taught you to trust God. But isn't it crazy how as we grow as believers, it goes from people teaching us to trust God around to God teaching us to trust people? I'm, I'm, I'm just now coming around to that. Can I just say that? I'm 63 years old. I'm just getting, I'm just getting to, well, I'm sorry. Lord, you want me to, tr you want me to trust who? With what? You own the whole world. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is your church, God. You want me to have who sing on the worship team? I'm just kidding. <laughs> God puts people in our life to teach us to trust him. That person originally was uh, Samuel. If you watch Samuel come in on the scene. Now, David had a relationship with God, but the father knew that it was, it was necessary for that relationship to level up for what was coming. So Samuel comes in, and in the anointing process, and we don't see everything else that happens between Samuel and David, but in the anointing process and whatever was exchanged there, 
there, there was an impartation of supernatural trust in God. And as David marches onto the battlefield that day, I think that David knew, again, we're getting back to last week's message, but David knew that at the end of the day, no matter what happened, his God was trustworthy. But following that incident, God brings David to a place where he has to get involved in teaching David how to trust. He has to get involved for a young man whose father forgot him and whose brothers hated him. For a young man whose fame and overnight status of heroism was just because of what he could offer his country. And saints, I just, I want to encourage you, if the Lord's bringing you back around to that place, it's because the season is now to receive. The surrender has happened and the season is now to receive and you will not receive until you pass the quiz on trust. I'm supposed to trust this person? I used to take so much pride in who I didn't have to trust. <laughs> I don't trust denominations anymore. I don't trust churches. I don't trust pastors. I don't trust anybody but my wife and my mom. And even my mom. Yeah, sometimes I'm like, honey, we're going to come up and we're going to take care of the kids a couple nights a week. And I'm like, what's in it for you? Huh. Okay, okay. People will teach you to trust God, and then God will teach you to trust people. And then he'll teach you to trust people, and then he'll teach you to trust people. By the way, the reason people can't teach you to trust people is because it takes a miracle to do it. And if you're in this room this morning and trust has been broken, you took one example and then you painted a broad stroke over every single other single solitary soul in your life. Because trust was misplaced or trust was broken, I want you to know that it takes a miracle, but it's a miracle God is invested in doing, and he does it every day, and he will restore your ability to trust people again. Does that mean nobody's going to let me down again? No. People will, I promise you, let you down but trust isn't really about that, is it? The last thing I want to talk about after friendship, vulnerability, and trust is this thing that runs through the whole story, and that is covenant. Covenant. You see... We always talk about David's covenant with the Lord, don't we? He wants to build him a house, and God's like so blessed by it. So he says, your throne's going to be the one that lasts forever. And when a Messiah comes, he's going to reign on your throne. And when Jesus walked the earth, they said, Jesus, son of David, the people that knew who he was. We talk about that covenant because that's the one that's like forever, right? We talk about that covenant because that's the one that means something to us. But in truth, before that covenant, there was another covenant. And it was the covenant between David and Jonathan. You see, David learned the art of covenantal exchange from Jonathan. 
It was this relationship. It was this knitting together of two souls that fostered within David this ability to give and receive covenant. And I, I think it's so cool. God, why does God have to teach me to trust people? If you read Paul's letter to the Corinthians churches, you, you'll see he, he says first the natural and then the spiritual. Because in this matter of covenant, David had to understand what covenant was in his own language before he could begin to interpret that into a heavenly language with the Father. First the natural, then the spiritual. And saints, it's so important that we glean from the people God's put in our lives uh, uh, what covenant is and what it means. The difference between covenant and promise is promise can be one-sided. Like, I can promise my wife that I will always be done with the first service by 10 till 11. I can promise her that. And that's important to her that I promise her that. I never have made that promise. I just want the whole room to know <laughs> I have never made that promise. But I could. And that would require nothing from her. But if we made some sort of covenant where you were like, if you're done by 11, I'll do this. Now we're cooking with gas. <laughs> you see, if it, covenant requires action, investment, surrender, vulnerability, and trust on both fronts. Well, how has God ever made himself vulnerable with me? He trusts you with his name. He trusts you with everything in heaven, everything we have access to. The Holy Spirit. He trusts you with the Holy Spirit. God, I am not trustworthy. Covenant. Covenant requires exchange. And in the very first couple lines of this friendship, covenant begins. Jonathan gives him his armor his robe, his sword, his belt, his bow. And I want to point out here that receiving royalty is easy. When somebody gives you something you don't deserve, it's easy to take that, right? Unless you're too prideful, and then you got to deal with that. But if you're just kind of in humility and you're like, I don't deserve this, but okay. When somebody gives you royalty, it's easy but saints, the responsibility of covenantal royalty, that's another ballgame. It's difficult, and it has to be learned in the King's Academy. Covenant requires give and take, but it may take a while. And we see David years later. See, Jonathan, Jonathan takes off his royalty and offers it to David as a sign of covenant. But David didn't have anything to offer in exchange then, that day. But that covenant was prophetic. Even though it was a natural covenant, it's a friendship covenant, it was prophetic because somewhere Jonathan's spirit knew who the next king of Israel was going to be. He knew that the lineage of royalty was ending with his father and beginning with David. And when he took off his prince garments, when he took off his robe, that wasn't just any robe. 
When he took off his sword and his belt and his bow, those weren't just any. Those were royalty-grade armor and weaponry. Those you would have looked at across the room and you'd been like, that guy is famous. You would have seen that shirt and you're like, oh my gosh, is that an Italian blend? That's, that's the thing that you smell it before you see it because of the, the fragrance that's on it, because of the costly things that ornament it, because of the, the, the graving and the, the scrolling that was on the handle of the sword sticking out of the sheath, because of the way the bow was strung and how it was handmade by the finest bow. You see, what Jonathan put on David that day was the destiny the father was calling him to. That was the covenant. If David hadn't been vulnerable with Jonathan and trusted him, he wouldn't have received the prophetic picture that the father wanted to put on him long before his time. That's why the King's Academy is so important. Because it's the knitting together of souls that begin to call out and draw out prophetically, covenantally, covenantally. The call that's on us, that's on our children and our children's children. Even though there was nothing David had to offer that day, there came a time when the covenant called upon him to give back what had been placed on his shoulders. And we see it in 2 Samuel chapter 9, the story of Mephibosheth. A crazy story. of covenant fulfillment, a crazy story. At this point, Saul and Jonathan are dead. The entire household of Saul's is dead, except for one man who in the hurry to leave as he was a child, his nurse, his nanny was fleeing from the armies that were chasing them and she drops him and he breaks both his feet and he's crippled from a child on. His name was Mephibosheth. Now Mephibosheth surviving that account put him in a very serious predicament. He's the only one left of a king's lineage, of Saul's lineage. And for an entire nation that was ready to accept David as their king, he posed the only threat to restoring the old administration. In other words, there was a big fat target on his back. But when David takes the throne, he asks around, is there anyone left from the house of Saul? Is there anyone left of the descendants of Jonathan? Because I made a covenant with that man and I need to fulfill it. It was a fulfillment that could not take place until David had come to the throne that had been covenantally prophesied over him by his friend. And I want to tell you this morning that there will come a time when the covenant comes to call upon us, to call upon us to give back the royalty that's been placed on our shoulders as well. In this moment, David uses covenantal royalty to cover Mephibosheth. Not just to cover his name, 
and his past, but also to cover his condition. And he has Mephibosheth carried to the table, the king's table. And somebody who's lame in their legs who can't walk, when you're seated at a table like everybody else, nobody can tell. Nobody knows. That king's table, that royalty would have covered Mephibosheth. And David says, because of the relationship that I had with your father, Jonathan. This may seem like a crazy spin here, but it's about two years ago, and uh, our sister, Jackie Santos, is a prophet in this house. She came to me and she said, Zach, the Lord told me that he will come again to this region, but only by the way of Mephibosheth. And there was something about the gravity of that word that shook me and I brought it to our elders and we talked about it, prayed about it. And see the story of Mephibosheth, I've always only, I've always only reflected on it as me being the broken one. I've always thought about it as I am Mephibosheth in this story. I come from a broken past. I come from a name that's associated with sin and addiction and, and filth. I come from, from sin. I am lame in my spirit. I am broken. I've been dropped. I'm the one that needs to be carried to the table and covered. But as I was working through this, this over this last week or two, and as I was thinking back on that word, I will only come. The move of God will come again to New England, but only through the way of Mephibosheth. I thought, maybe this thing is multifaceted. Maybe what it means is that when the people who have been covered unrightfully, undeservedly by royalty, when the ones who have been invited into a house and into a covenant, when we finally assume the place that we've been called to and are walking in the authority that was given to us, maybe the way of Mephibosheth is not through the eyes of Mephibosheth, but through the eyes of David. What does it mean to turn around and to cover the ones who are still broken, to cover the ones that the world has written off, to cover the ones with our royalty, because it is ours now. It's been placed upon us. For us to take our robe off and rather than call someone out and embarrass them and, and point out their weaknesses and frailties, what if it's to cover those things at the table of a king? Let's stand together in this room. Saints, what was placed on David has been placed on every one of us that's called on the name of Jesus. You don't fight with your weapons anymore and you're not protected by your armor. If you look down, there shouldn't be a sling shot at your side, even though that might've worked for a season. The armor that you have, the sword that you have, it's mostly for show because heaven's armies march around you. 
You're just there for the victory parades. You know what I'm saying? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. All the weapons that we did that with, they came off when we put on the armor of God, the armor of royalty, the robes of royalty. But saints, I believe that many of us in this room, we need to realize that we're at a place where the covenantal exchange is being called upon. There was a time when you had nothing to offer, but now you do. The promises are yours. The truth is yours. The identity, the throne, you're the inheritor now. And my prayer is that as the people of God, as the sons and daughters of God, that we can look around and we can say, is there anyone left from the house of Saul? Is there anyone left to whom I can show honor who's not honorable? Is there anyone left? Is there anyone in my life, in my world, on my street, in my job, in my school, is there anyone left who as undeserved as I once was can now be the recipient of what the Father's placed on me? I believe that that is the way of Mephibosheth. And that will be the way that we see God move again. Where once we have been able to receive it, because we surrendered, now we receive, full circle is coming back out. It's coming back off us. Father, we thank you for the robes of righteousness. We thank you for the covenantal authority that you have placed on us. And God, we pray that we would be diligent in our responsibility of that covenantal royalty. God, that we would be diligent. God, we thank you for the relationships that you've given us, the people you've invested into our lives. We thank you for the Jonathans in the room, the friends before whom we can show vulnerability, our weaknesses, our frailties, the ones upon whom that vulnerability can be trust. the ones that you've placed between us and the enemy and his strategies and, and what hell desires for us. I thank you for those people. I thank you for the Jonathans. And God, I pray this morning that we would have open ears and open hearts to receive the protection that you've given us in the form of these friends. But Lord, may it all be, may it all be at the end of the day, not so that we can just receive undeserved authority and royalty. But Lord, so that we have something to give when covenant comes to call. We love you and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have the best day ever. And I just want to say we finished before 11. This is Pastor Zach and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you and have the best day of your life.